Um, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> ah, what's going on? <clears throat> um, Can that be the cold open? And the more that I rewatch this, the more that I realize I actually love the Clone Wars. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, we were talking. We were talking about this, and you were telling me about how you have become enamored with it over the time. So I'm very excited. Yeah, and I think one thing that I was thinking about is as we go through watching different parts of Star Wars in general, it becomes an exploration into our own fandom of the Star Wars universe. And we become different kinds of fans just because we're engaging with it on such a more, on a, such a deeper level. And we discover what we like and what we don't like about Star Wars. And in a, in and of that, in within that journey, we, you know, I, I feel like discovering new things about ourselves, which I find is really fascinating and a great thing about, going through any sort of content at such a granular level. Um, generally, we're just going to be starting off by talking about our general impressions over a series of episodes that we've decided to discuss for that episode or for that day. And then we're going to go through not necessarily episode by episode, but sort of arc by arc within those episodes and sort of discuss our thoughts, our the general plot points, what we thought interesting, what we also could connect to a larger Star Wars canon or um, universe. Yeah. And just so that we're all clear and all on the same page, today we are watching or have watched episodes 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 19, 20, 21, and 22 of the first season of Star Wars Clone Wars. So, Chris, what are your general impressions? The uh, the, the recap narrator... Uh, sounds really really awful so does, annoying right does does that change ever nope good luck oh, damn it. <laughs> okay um i mean coming coming from having watched all of the movies multiple times and also having watched the mandalorian it's very weird to see you know this pacing of a series that has 20 minute episodes and it feels very rushed in comparison to it yeah, for sure. I think it's definitely um, a fault of the medium, how the pacing is a little bit off. But I also think they improve on it traumatically as the series goes on. So, And they use it to their advantage, this hecticness and this rushed nature of it. And I think it's also reflective of a different goal for the Clone Wars, which is to follow larger battles and trends as opposed to granular there, granular characters or individuals. And while there is significant character development across the arcs within each episode, you know, it's simultaneously, you know, focused on individuals who go through changes and yet it is pretty stagnant in that it is it's still, TV, it's still a kid's TV show where not that much changes from beginning to end. Um, and I think that with your to your point about the narrator, it does improve in the sense that it has more context because the the show jumps around less and less as you move forward. There are larger arcs that makes the narrator a little bit less annoying because I think especially in the first season, they jump around so much that it's really hard to get yourself grounded into the story so it feels a little bit off whenever you come into the episode with this 
weird old man yelling at you. Yeah, his his cadence, his voice, everything is weird. But I think you can you can definitely tell with the pacing that this has been a actual TV show. And now moving forward, obviously, all of the Star Wars content is going to be streaming on Disney Plus. So that just we've seen this with the Mandalorian as well, that they don't have to have all the same same length of episodes. And they're just there's a freedom there that I am very much looking forward in the new series to see how they're going to make use of it. And also it's a TV show of a bygone era of TV when they had, you know, 20 minute shows that didn't really have much plot movement from show to show. Very more of like a, oh, look at my friends. I'm going back to come see Anakin and Ahsoka go around and stab some droids. As opposed to what is reflective later on in this show, as well as TV in general, where you have larger narrative arcs akin to a series of films. And let's be let's be clear, Anakin and Ahsoka do stab quite a few droids. I mean, um, that's the whole point. But <laughs> also what's what struck me watching it is that there are some very strange choices when it comes to accents. So the Lerman are pretty Irish sounding. And uh, the Twi'leks sound vaguely French, especially their leader. When um, it's convenient for them, they are French. When not, yes, they are not. <laughs> Absolutely. But the Lerman are very clearly Irish, or rather, not they're Irish, but they have Irish accents. And um, also, Ahsoka and Anakin and basically everyone uh, sounds very US American. Like the the phrases they use and all of that. That just, just really struck me. You can you can see this in um, especially the movies a lot, but I think it's never as clear as it is in in the Clone Wars. Well, I think it's because it's as as much as Star Wars is technically geared towards children. This is even more so geared towards children. And whenever you have a a kids TV show or a kids medium, you include more colloquialisms, idioms, etc., that become more that are more familiar to children sometimes, um, and I think that maybe informs your opinion on or your perspective on how it sounds super American in that way. What what I found the most surprising actually was how political this this show is. There were some very very big questions being asked. By, by this show and I think you know we're, we're going to get into this when we're talking about the episodes but um, it seems to be a lot about these big questions and as, at least in in these episodes that we have watched it is a lot about locals being unhappy or in conflict with their representatives in Coruscant and that's very interesting maybe especially you know, eight years later. I think it's amazing. And I think it's one of the biggest positives of this show as a whole, especially earlier on where it doesn't have other positives, that it does take larger questions about what is the cost of war and what is the impact on locals. And I think it's important, obviously, to remember the context in which this show is being made. And it is being made in a, in a, in a largely, you know, American context that is anti- war in Iraq and Afghanistan in the middle of, you know, a lot of anti, you know, military politics. And ever since the conception of Star Wars, 
there is a link between um, military or pacifism or anti-imperialism that goes back, you know, for 40, 50 years to the, the, the Death Star, if anyone's unfamiliar, is the Death Star is essentially an allegory for nuclear weapons. I mean, that's pretty obvious. And I think that continues as a through line through every Star Wars media, <laughs> right? Sorry, yep. media. Sorry, I should finish the sentence. <laughs> um but yeah i think it's interesting um and at some point i will have my own general impressions and stop just like responding to yours even those yours are really apt um but i'm excited to see how we how our opinions of this evolve as we move forward for sure um i think one thing the first one thing (laughs) that i'd like to discuss (laughs) is how bad the animation is at least for me because having watched the whole thing going back and seeing the animation from the earlier ages of this TV show is is incredible how much it evolves, which is cool. But it's also like I it's really hard to watch sometimes. Just the lighting on some of the characters is so odd. The faces, the structure of their bodies it, it's just so awkwardly done. But on the flip side, I like the cinematography of it in general. I like the way they have the cameras pan and, you know, and show like the hecticness of the war i love the shaky cam in general so there's you know it's a mishmash of really good animation like um in terms of how they've structured the scenes but maybe the technology wasn't there yet fully to really capture the vibrancy of star wars so you can see the kernels of something amazing before we even begin to develop the cgi technology that we have today and then my second one thing, if I may go on a 10-minute soliloquy. Always. Is that I think it's important when we especially evaluate the beginning of Clone Wars or Clone Wars in general is this is essentially the prequels for us. And we need to measure this against those films a lot of the times and to think how lucky we are to have something like this that even at its worst is better than the prequels in terms of how it's written, in terms of the questions it asks, in terms of the characters it develops. And it gives us everything, not everything, but a lot of what we would have wanted from the prequels. And I think that, you know, we're going to shit on this some a little bit. We're going to praise it for other things. And I think in a general sense, it must be praised and lauded, especially as, it, as we compare it to other George Lucas live action slash CGI productions. I have, I've had the, I guess, advantage that... So far, my exposure to Clone Wars has only been a few still images that I've seen. And they have almost all, I think, have been, they've always been from the first few seasons. So you, of course, know all the later animations. And I'm sure within 12 years, it has improved significantly. Um, But yeah, I mean, I didn't mind it. Yeah, I think uh, maybe if it's you coming in for the first time, it's fine. But. I guess in retrospect, it's it's interesting how memory works in general, is that we take what we remember most recently and then project it onto a past that should be connected through some like tangent, if that makes sense. And I feel like, especially Clone Wars is a good example of me sort of ex post facto putting a more modern animation style onto the memory of my earlier episodes right and maybe it's not reflective of the actual reality of how the show started out at the beginning so we get into actually talking about the episodes now let's do it nice episode 11 dooku captured 
Um, it's a really weird plot, I have to say. Especially the first half, and it doesn't really make sense. No. So I guess it's best if we talk about 11 and 12 together. Oh, for sure. Uh, the plot is all over the place. You know, there are a lot of nice coincidences, like the fact that Dooku, Anakin, and Obi-Wan just happen to crash on the same planet. You know, the three of them trying to having to work together, kind of, to break free in episode 12 is probably my least favorite part of all of this. Um, it's played for laughs a little bit. As opposed to what it should be, which is a larger question of, I think it could have been really interesting, but does it kind of falls short. Absolutely. I really like Dooku here as opposed to, let's say, Anakin, for example. He is just very confident throughout that he's going to get out of this. Um, I also really like... Um, I also really like Honda Onaka. He is very, very smart. Um, I mean, to be I, honest, that's why we're watching these episodes. It's yes. just <laughs> Hondo. He's the best. Yeah. I like the subplot of his underling or maybe even his right-hand man to uh, that, like trying to get the spice and, um, you know, trying, trying kind of to go behind his back. And Hondo actually doesn't really realize that, which is interesting. Obviously, this is the episode where at the end of episode 11 or in the middle of episode 11, Dooku gets captured by pirates, right? Led by Hondo Anaka. And then later on at the end of the episode, they get uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin in trying to find Dooku or, you know, negotiate for Dooku, get poisoned by uh, or get knocked out, I guess. Yeah, they get drugged. And yeah, so I don't I don't think it's a great place to start in terms of the quality of the show for sure. And I guess with the clone wars, and I think that this goes back to how we decided to do this. You could always go by in any order really, because it is an anthology series in that way. Um, but we are sticking to the error, like the order in which it aired. Right. So while this maybe not is the best, is not the best start for the clone wars. It does establish, um, Hondo Naka's character essentially, and that's really the important part here. Mm. And also, there so are you're things... saying this is this is not about Jar Jar's expertise on the battlefield? No, clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> I do like though, and I don't know, maybe I'm just misremembering the prequels. That I do like that they lean into his stupidity, and it's like it's a point that they're like, oh, he's we all know he's stupid, yeah, and it's not like he's just like a lucky fool. Is that oh no, he's an actual idiot. Um, yeah, that's its his secret power is creating confusion on the battlefield, and that's why, and that's what I think the clones even outright talk about to each other. It's like, no, he's gonna be great because you know we're gonna do things that are just gonna be crazy, and that are going to really um, surprise and confuse our enemies. God damn, Jar Jar. <laughs> um also i think he is he is to blame for the death of the senator i mean okay technically he is he's getting shot by the pirates but i think there is something i i don't remember quite but there's something that jar jar does that if he had just not done it which was like a stupid thing um the senator would have survived that sounds about right it's let's gloss over the innocent person that he like led to death led to his death and let's celebrate his quasi victory by being an idiot. Um, 
I do like though um the juxtaposition of Anakin and Obi-Wan in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um or these two episodes. Um and so much of the Clone Wars is about Anakin being a mentor to Ahsoka is what we see, especially in the next few episodes. But in the in these, it's really him still learning from Obi-Wan, learning patience, learning quote, a sense of honor, um, learning how to work with others. To what extent it's understood by Anakin is, is up for debate. But I think it really is a good way to look at the difference between the two characters. And I think, I think it's a very, very good choice that we get to see both sides of Anakin here, both as the yeah as the pupil and as the master yeah it's fascinating uh, to see him you know as a leader and uh, and as a motivator as a parent figure for ahsoka mm. it did strike me that all of the jedi are uh, referred to as generals by the clones and also ahsoka later on is um called sir which i found a little bit strange but hey gender is just a construct so who cares Yep, yep. It's it's I don't know if it's like sneakily very progressive or very like patriarchal that he did this. So I'm not really sure to be honest. I think it's probably um, more number 2. Probably, but let's go with number 1. Sure. <laughs> Hat cannon. Yes, the best kind of cannon. So the next um block of episodes that I guess we should talk about together are the first two episodes, oh, sorry, the, the next two episodes, episode 13 and 14, with the Lerman, essentially, um, in which Ahsoka and et al. <laughs> General. <laughs> <laughs> um, they all, Ahsoka and um, General Sakura and Anakin essentially land, crash land onto nameless planet that's inhabited by a clan of Lerman who are, as you mentioned earlier, apparently Irish, and essentially make their way out, right? Let's just be honest. And this episode does have many interesting things in terms of questioning the cost of war and whether or not it is justified to fight, et cetera, et cetera. And I just, I think this is a great place to really start a discussion on some of the very big value of the Clone Wars in general. So, yeah, it's, it's, asks some very important questions um ahsoka for example is talking to ayla secura about the conundrum that jedi are not supposed to have attachments yet they are they are expected to be compassionate and how does that work um but also you know the i think you know the village elder is questioning the jedi as peacekeepers because he is very much in the non-violent, peaceful camp. And he, you know, he has basically questioned the entire idea of fighting for freedom, uh, fighting for peace, basically. And I think that's a very impactful moment. I was really surprised by it because, you know, I thought, okay, this is kind of a kid's TV show. But wow, it's like the, the big questions. No, I think it's fascinating. I like, so even going back to the first episode, I really like how it starts in a very like fast, hectic, chaotic way, similar to battle. Like you want to evoke a sense of chaos whenever you're filming a battle. So I find even the beginning shots really interesting. 
And of course, what you mentioned is is a fascinating question that he asks when when the elder asks or says it takes two to fight. If you think about that, it's, it's just a very succinct and realistic way to look at battles or fighting in general. And it's it's you know obviously oversimplistic in some ways, and then it turns out in the end that they do have to fight. But I I really do like the questions that are being asked, of course, and despite the weird things about this, like the over-sexualized outfit that Ahsoka and Sakura have, it's not that great. Let's be honest. But especially General Sakura, it's, it's, I think, a little even worse than Ahsoka's. Um, But it it has some deep depth to it that is surprising, I think. Speaking of over-sexualizing, this might be just in my head, but... There is this scene in which uh, Elisa Kira and Ahsoka Tano are talking about their relationship to their masters, and it sounded to me like they they <laughs> it sounded to me like they're having crushes on them. Can you? Oh my god! Can you elaborate on that? Was yeah, that just in my absolutely head? Absolutely not. That's a hundred percent in your head. Oh, okay. I think it's more paternal. Hmm. That kind of relationship, similar that you would speak about, like a you know a family member you care about. Well, one interesting thing. I mean, one thing that I really just don't like about this is just all the freaking nicknames. It's so bad sometimes. Like, some of them, they kind of lean away from things like Ahsoka calls Anakin Sky Guy once. And I think that's remnants or of the sorry, remnants of the original Clone Wars movie that released before the TV show. But it's just not a good nickname. And, like, all the droids are called Clankers um obviously ahsoka's called snips that's not as bad in my mind for some reason um but it's just not like just everyone has a nickname for no reason and it just doesn't look good i think yeah i was actually gonna ask you about snips um and i think the the reason why you th- why you don't think it's that bad is because you know and anakin who's the teacher calls you know his padawan that uh, maybe that's because of you know the like the asymmetry of their relationship um yeah or like it's a term of endearment who knows yeah i think it is the way that i think it is a term of endearment and and it's different than the way she calls him sky guy i think it does come from the fact that she is very snippy right don't get snippy with me essentially um i think i'm pretty sure that's where it comes from in the original uh, Clone Wars movie, but you know. Speaking of language, in uh, in episode fourteen, actually, it becomes very clear like they're very much leaning into like colonial vocabulary here. Of of course, the like uh, Star Wars movies all have these overtones. I mean, we're talking about the freaking Empire when the Separatist leader comes and he's talking about this is a new colony and all of that, and they're testing weapons on the locals' village. That's very like colonialist. Um, speaking of which, that weapon is just really handy. Yeah, no, right? How would you actually get that to work? I'm not sure, but you know. I mean, really great if they do have it. Exactly. I mean, we're talking about a world in which the force exists, so let's not worry about it too much. So, going brief, going back to the to the nonviolent theme of these two episodes. Mm, I was going to ask you, what do you think about the fact that this is 
framed as a generational conflict later on. Well, I think it goes back to the fact that this is a kids TV show and it's it's played in the light of the kid is the hero fighting against their parents who is stubborn against something. Um and I think that really that's how it's how a lot of things are framed in kids shows where the kids are inexplicably heroes. Um I get why it's the village elder who is you know, standing up to the Jedi who are in there. Why it's his, why it has to be his son who is um, really coming into conflict with him ideologically. It really just plays more into the fact that this is directed at children. And I think it's less so, doesn't really make as much sense when you look at the TV show in and of itself. Um, but that's generally what I think about it. I don't really think too much about it because I know this is just, you know, pandering to the audience to a certain extent so what you're saying is that the creators of this show are trying to incite generational conflict in the real world yes <laughs> good good we good we cleared this <laughs> <laughs> well i think that generally they're trying to kind of incite idealism in a way that you know, you should fight against ideas that are wrong or something that seems wrong. Like nonviolence. Like nonviolence, <laughs> essentially. Like refusing to defend one's home, I guess. In yeah, that, in how that dare sense. you? How fucking dare you? The worst. It's interesting. It is an interesting idea. Um, but in general, these like depictions of in shows like this are so clear cut and dry. They're so black and white that it's really, you know, it's really easy to take for granted in some ways it's interesting that the arc of these two episodes also ends on a very ambiguous note that the lermen are now uh, uh getting roped into the war against their will yeah it's not the most positive you'd think that like it would end in a note where they like, oh the separatists are out and we'll leave you away but you don't really know what's going to happen to the lermen now that they actually engaged in a conflict with technologically superior Oh, and don't get me started on the technological difference. That's no. absolutely ridiculous. The fact that like droids can be taken down by ropes and rocks. Are you freaking kidding me? Like it makes absolutely no sense. I get the urge to, you know, the scrappy um, like village indigenous population that fights off the imperial technologically superior um, power is a very sexy thing that you want to do a sexy motif to draw on but it doesn't make sense in this context they literally just run around their feet like they run like they're animals and these droids who don't who have blasters god it's just absolutely miserable especially given no the numbers because it's yeah, like right? five kids doing this against a bunch of droids like killing machines basically yeah it makes no sense the general depiction of droids as simultaneously like they're horrific like like killing machines as you said and they're also goofy silly little things they just it does not compute and it makes no sense i kind of get it when it comes to their facing against a jedi because jedi are supposed to be this amazing warriors or whatever but when they come into contact with random villagers it just it that shouldn't have no place in this yeah i'm all, i always dislike when you know, there's this enemy that is really, really strong. And then at a critical moment, they just seem to be dupes. 
when they ha have to face off against you know the heroes that that just never you know sits right with me yes so on that note on that great note um yeah. would you like to move on to the next episode absolutely episode 15 trespass we're, yes. we're on patora Woo! great i love this episode mainly because i love senator chuchi she's the best and wh I I, why why is that I, it's just her accent probably oh, okay. <laughs> it's another accent um no i i just like her as a character um it's a i guess it's a young, another young senator to pair with Padme in a way mm -hmm. um, and to go on journeys. And I think the idea of a, a young woman rising to like legislative power in a large body is interesting. And I'd like to see more of it, um, you know, navigating those challenges. But whenever you see, you know, Senator Amidala, it's so much coded in, anakin and her love story that it kind of takes me out of you know the interesting part of her role which she does have interesting stuff to do in the larger clone wars story but i think chuchi is less burdened by that side story um with her romantic interest right uh, maybe that just i'm trying to justify why i just inherently like a character it doesn't really make sense sometimes but i do i, I got mean... a soft spot I mean, I really enjoyed this episode as well. Um, the the power struggle basically between the chairman and the senator, I found really interesting. Uh, the chairman is obviously a douche, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah, and uh, like we're going going back to colonialist rhetoric here. He calls the uh, indigenous population savages, so that just rings some pretty pretty bad bells um and he himself is acting pretty imperialist here or colonialist anyway um i like the the power struggle between the two of them also because the jedi can't really do much here they can they do counsel and guide senator chuchi but it is for her to go through the motions and figure out how to stop and how to stop the chairman the only thing that i don't like about it is that it is because of because some statues don't apply and that that feels very george lucasy to me we found this legal loophole and now i'm in charge it's like oh come on really no i think it's <laughs> this episode has a lot of interesting kernels in it um obviously it continues the you know imperialists uh, indigenous population motif for sure um and think negotiation is really interesting in this and questions of jurisdiction are interesting as well in terms of where do certain authorities have authority right um and i think you noted it aptly when talking about the jedi's role in here just being as mediators and it is good to see them and we rarely do see them as peacekeepers instead of as soldiers and this is a case where they can, we can get a glimpse into who the Jedi should be in an ideal scenario where they are actually peacekeepers. Because here they are acting as peacekeepers. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the strengths of this show. I mean, I've only seen half of one season, but uh, in those episodes, they act way more as mediators, as you just said. 
than which is what they were originally intended to be um than in any of the prequels let's say they're basically just you know it's it's i think it's epitomized by the by the uh, the one quip by obi-wan in episode in uh phantom menace but oh no negotiations were you know were over quick let's not talk about the prequels what are you talking about we (laughs) love the prequels i know we should watch them sometime but it's like we silence (laughs) (laughs) one of the things that also was cool is also in my mind a little note in this episode is c-3po he shows up and he's actually kind of useful he actually translates for once he's still kind of annoying but i think that comes with the territory you can't really have c-3po without being a little bit annoyed by him and uh, yeah i agree it's it was very interesting not least of all he had to translate some very unpleasant things and one other thing that i really liked about uh, something i really i discovered that i really like about star wars is i love snow planets i find <laughs> snow as a setting really fascinating I, I think it just like goes out of my like real life love of snow and the excitement of seeing snow on the ground for the first time in winter Mm, sometimes i didn't know that about you i mean i feel like that's a pretty universal thing in general but um listen if i could just have summer all all year long i would do that well fair enough but no i do really love snow as a space if that makes sense like the first then i just like i guess that makes me love battle of hoth for example um and I think it creates an interesting contrast of and not only contrast, but the chaos that I mentioned in the beginning, I think is very, it's accentuated by snow and snowy terrain, especially when you have these white Yeti looking um, characters that blend into terrain. And it is kind of cool to see the white on white on white battle. It's really interesting. I really enjoyed watching this from dare i say a cinematographic uh a cin- from a cinematography perspective <laughs> oh nice i'm good at english yeah you are i would like to say one of the faults of this episode and it goes through all of the clone wars is that the negotiations are just way too simple oh yeah it's just that everything happens it's one sentence back and forth and then okay all, all are good move on to the next thing mm-hmm so yeah, I think that's definitely a, a negative, but I see the what they're trying to get at. The, I think that is also true for situations in battle, uh, especially with Anakin and Ahsoka. Too often, it has the the dialogue goes like, "I can't do this, but you need to." Okay, and that's literally it. And uh, yeah, I found myself being very much infuriated by this. All right, let's move on to um, the series of the arc on Ryloth. And speaking of things that I love, which we weren't speaking about, but I'm going to speak about right now, I love the Twi'lek as like a species, right? And I love just Ryloth. I think it's it has to do with, I think, Rebels more so than Clone Wars, at least off the, the front of my head. But I think it's a very fascinating culture and history and Really, I love everything that happens on Ryloth. Um, obviously, despite, as you said, their funny accents sometimes. Um, but it's just one of the... When you think of the seminal planets on Star Wars in the galaxy, this is not on the first tier 
for sure. But when we're talking about second tier or third tier um, planets that are of supreme interest to us, Ryloth is definitely on one of those lists for me, maybe the top of the list. I have to say one thing that struck me in episode 19 specifically was that A, Anakin is a thousand times better than in the prequels. He is such a good mentor to Ahsoka. I love their relationship. And this is them really, because I mean, through episode, I mean, she's not, she doesn't appear in episode 15. Episodes 13 and 14, he's kind of out of the loop unconscious for part of it but episode 19 really their relationship takes center stage and i love it how old is ahsoka here because it struck me it struck me that she seems pretty young for a command you know i think that's how it works like that in the jedi hierarchy is that once you become a padawan and you face your try your like padawan trials then you become a commander within the 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 hierarchy of the clone army that's a pretty big risk to take though yeah, I mean, I think that's just how it is. And then all the, the you know, second tier are become generals, essentially. Mm. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, just because, you know, if this if this went wrong, then not only would she die, but also Anakin would. And yeah, not, not to speak of a lot of clones. Yeah, well, I mean, we don't have to... We can put on a list of a thousand the um, faults of the Jedi or the... Um, Touche. But yeah, she's to answer your question, she is 14 when the Clone Wars starts. So she is really young. And it is really um, indicative of, a, of her personality at the time. She is annoying. She is kind of, she yells at her commanders and her She's admirals. a moody teenager, basically. Exactly. She's a 14-year-old teenager. and And she's overconfident. And she's actually similar to Anakin in some ways. In so she, many ways. They're so similar. The yeah. pair their their pairing up is very interesting. Um I have to say one thing that struck me as well here is that the death of clone troops is dealt with very lightly. They're, it's not really a heavy emotional thing. Part of it is probably because of the pacing of these episodes, but there is no room to really let it sink in and Sure, you could say they're just clones. It doesn't matter, but they're still, you know, it's still deaths. And one thing I will say is I think the Clone Wars series gets a lot better with this moving mm. forward. Um, and they're treated less like droids and more like humans. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, actually, that was also a bigger point that I wanted to make, that the show really succeeds at giving individual, like giving clones uh, individual characteristics and you, you can sometimes you can definitely tell okay this is this person this is this person even though they look the same and kind of sound the same i mean they don't really sound the same that's actually what it is what is that so impressive about it is that every uh, every clone kind of sounds different and they have different personalities i think it's a really well done job by the voice actor yeah, what I also going back to um, Ahsoka's command here and the plan she is coming up with, the clones really doubt her on on that. But the uh, admiral, who by the way is comically overdrawn, you know that's Admiral Yularen. I have no idea who that is. He dies on the Death Star in uh, Battle of the Avin. He's on like the the command, so it's just an interesting little note there. 
Whoa, 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 wait a second. He is he is what? His name is Admiral Yularen. Yeah. And he's on the Death Star, um, in on the table with Tarkin and Vader. He's not like he's in one he's just in one of the chairs essentially. Uh, Sorry, okay. it's a little fun fact. No, no, because <laughs> I just couldn't compute that for a second because I thought yeah. what why is he in the Empire? But of course he's in I mean, I mean he is not a clone though. That's the No, he's not thing. a clone. Yeah. But he No, just... actually like the the Empire after um it becomes the Empire gets rid of all the clones, right? Yeah. yeah and the yeah, clones yeah. are no longer serving in the Imperial Army. Mm. Right, so none of the stormtroopers are clones, essentially. So oh, that could be an interesting thing to explore in the Boba Fett thing, where he just he um, comes in contact. I'm sure there's like a renegade clone thing somewhere. <clears throat> Bad batch. Oh, uh, that's what it is about. I I I don't know what it is about. So. I I did I purposefully avoided any spoilers, so thanks. So sorry. <laughs> so sorry. So I really like the moment when the admiral, uh, who has previously been injured because of um, Ahsoka, comes comes to the strat- strategic meeting and endorses her plan. I thought that that was a really nice scene. Yeah, especially as the clones who are her allies are kind of questioning her. Yeah, and her confidence is shot because he just failed in the mission. Yeah, I don't have that much to say about episode twenty, to be honest, because I mean it's just a real, it's just a good action episode. We've seen the the plot with you know the local girl who's picked up and cared for by soldiers. We've seen that a thousand times, and it's not that it's not that interesting here, in my opinion. I just don't like this episode. I'm just going to say that out loud. I think it's not great. Um, it's kind of boring. I think the nickname Tailhead for the Twi'lek is insulting and not great. Yep. Um, speaking of super nicknames. It, it's just the droids are annoying here. Um, the tactical droid is int- introduced and it's kind of cool. Um, but it's just not great. Hmm. Yeah. Not I, re- I really like the tactical droid. Uh, I think he just has like this dry... Yeah, so he has a really dry personality, and uh, I, I, he looks vaguely apish, which I found very interesting. From oh, I never made that connection before. <laughs> and I mean, he what really surprised me is that he, I mean, he's squabbling all the time with the separatist leader, and at the end of episode 21, he just leaves him behind. What I like about episode 21, as opposed to the previous one, is that the clones and the Jedi are immediately in duress. And okay, they when they get out of it, it looks pretty effortless. But um, I like that for a few minutes, you're, you're actually wondering how do they get out of this one, which uh, especially in the prequels, you don't really think that often. Oh, no, not at all. Tactically speaking, it's really simple in the prequels, right? So this is a really interesting way. It's like, oh, they're actually cornered. What do we do here? You know they're going to get through it, but how is the question? Especially with Mace Windu uh, on their side. Oh, he's so strong. A little too OP, but I mean, he is... That's the point, right? He is the strongest Jedi when it comes to this, like using the sword, essentially, and his force power. The sword. The lightsaber. Oh, yeah, the, the laser sword. The laser sword, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the droids are a little weird. 
again. Um, and uh, and the Republican troops really need to get a grip on uh, watching out for those sneaky drones because they're everywhere. Yeah, those probe droids are like. They can go everywhere, and it's like it kind of makes sense when it comes to Hoth because that's where it comes. That's where it comes from, obviously. But like in the middle of a battle, you should have sensors. You should have a way to look. You know, you're fighting droid army, right? Yeah, should be pretty easy to detect. Mm. I really liked seeing the blurgs again. Blurgs are so interesting. I know they 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 are just such an interesting design. I kind of like the. Uh, the quips going between the Twi'lek and the clones about like oh like you know who's better the the machines or the blurgs um and i have to say i have to ask you since you've watched the entirety of this show is it just lesser developed planets against the separatists or does it get better or change up every once in a while it definitely changes up every once in a while um it's not always this dynamic. It definitely is that in the first episode, in the first season, um, you you will see, you know, um, two high-powered armies going together, right? You will see the um, the the Republic invading as well. Uh, you'll see different perspectives for sure. And and one of the but one definite through line through all of Star Wars is the ragtag rebels against the larger evil empire right so it, it is definitely something that is common right they lean on it a little too heavy here i would say but i think that the closest thing to what happens in the future is this right is the the issues on ryloth and you know general Sindula and the freedom fighters on ryloth are more connected to what happens later on you know these these they're they are armed they have weapons they are kind of they're just refugees as opposed to you know twirling lemurs with ropes <laughs> Yeah. Also, can I say, Freedom Fighters is pretty on the nose. Well, I mean, it, it is Star Wars. They're not the best at naming people. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I really like the the fighting scenes here. Um. Mace obviously killing it literally. Yeah. I don't know. I th- I found this a very enjoyable episode. From. Uh, I mean, it's just a really good action episode. One one point that I find interesting about the larger dynamic of the Republic and the questioning that General Sindula poses to Mace Windu is um, about the large, not only the lingering Republic presence on um, Ryloth, which then he asks him, how long until I'm fighting you, right? Which shows the hypocrisy of the Republic in fighting these wars across the galaxy. But also the, when he, asks mace we asked for republic help but no one came why was that the case Mm. essentially and it points to the potential it points to an unobtainable or futile goal of ruling the galaxy essentially is it really possible to have a singular a singular power based in the core worlds ruling the entire galaxy and really is it possible to secure everything and it really makes me think on the larger question of star wars universe structure is maybe there really shouldn't be a singular power and maybe that's really how this whole saga should end more less of a oh this is a singular force of good a la the high republic that can defend and secure the entire galaxy but really a conglomerate 
or different sectors being taken up by different entities that learn to live in peace with one another. So maybe that's meaning I am a separatist at heart, <laughs> or maybe that just means that I'm maybe not the most imperialist or pro-imperialist person out there. But there is definitely a hypocrisy to the Republic that is uh, shown out in this episode, and it's really important for us to notice. But that's actually a really interesting point because when you look at the face of it, the Palpatine's plan is actually a really good one. By having the separatists, he makes sure that there is an, a threat which allows him to create a, a, a unified republic in a way. And you can see here in this first season how, like an empire, uh, see what I did there? Uh, like, an em- <laughs> like an empire, the Republic furthers its grasp throughout the galaxy. So, so that's what's kind of that's just really annoying when you think about what the prequels could have been. Amen. This is already ten times better than the prequels. Oh yeah, it is. Well, it has interesting questions. Not just that attachment is fear, is evil, and go kill children. It's just completely, ugh. Um, And as we move on, let's move on to episode 22, the last episode of our series, and the last episode of season one. Um, Hostage crisis. Yay! If there's one thing that I like, it's a good heist and a good bounty hunter. And this episode has both of them, kind of. I mean, it's more of a hostage situation, but it's kind of a heist, right? Heist with humans. Yeah. (laughs) And also other life forms. I don't want to be racist or whatever i what i really like about this episode is that it there is a sense of mystery about it because you don't know straight away why he's going into the uh into the senate why he's doing all of this or um or is that just because i haven't watched previous episodes no that's just you i it's not i mean sorry that's not you it is <laughs> that's the exact like, opposite of what you, of I know, what you just right? said <laughs> It's not, <laughs> it's not you at all. It is uh, unclear going into it. And that's part of the interesting part about this. I really like Cad Bane, but in the way that he he's a villain that I hate and find and find very annoying, but in a way that it is really good as a mm. villain. Um and I feel like it's really interesting to see him in this as a character here and get introduced to him. So Essentially, in in connection to everything else that we watched in the first season of Clone Wars, it is half for what it is on the screen, but also introductions to some of the later characters that recur, right? Things like Hondo Onaka, or obviously Ahsoka, or General uh, Senator Chuchi, or Ryloth in general, um, and then Cat Bane for sure. So it is a Cat Bane's a really good character, I think, a great bounty hunter. Um, yeah, he's very clear. He's very Clint Eastwood. Yeah, he is. Another huge difference to the prequels is that you know there's this romantic scene between Anakin and Padme, and it's not good, but it's way better than anything in the prequels. And I was like almost fist pumping because it was like so okay. It was so middling that I thought like, yes, I'm here for it. this. Is like the best scene between Anakin and Padme I've ever seen. Yeah. It's kind of touching a little bit. It's not like to the point where I'm actually moved, but I'm not verbal, like expressly disgusted. 
yeah you're not choking down on something exactly and i think it's good and I, it's also like this is the first episode we see on coruscant it is kind of cool to see it i wish we kind of got a little bit more of the lower levels of the city we just really see the senate building but it is still men- it's worth mentioning to say that this is you know the seat of the empire uh, seat of the uh, republic Ooh, Freudian slip there i know right and this this episode also doesn't pull any punches. Like the the bounty hunters are pretty brutal. Like I'm thinking about the sniper in, uh, in particular, who just you know shoots one of the soldiers when he's like crying for help, basically. And he like she like shoots him in the face. That's pretty tough for a kids show. Yeah, it's really impressive. I really like that, and it's it's uh, it's a different vibe right because you you go from the battle where thousands of people are dying and you don't really think about it too much to a singular individual who is being murdered in cold blood in front of your face so it's a really nice tone shift for the show it just shows that they can do the larger scale stuff and then also the minute small details they have range yeah i really liked it also you know seeing anakin without his without his lightsaber it was an interesting twist i mean granted um the fact that Patman just took it with her seemed a little strange like there was there really no way that she could have just lost it on you know when she was still in her office but um that that still made for some fun moments when anakin remembered oh damn i don't have my lightsaber with me so i don't know what to do now yeah it was interesting and i i like that he instinctually went for it first and then was like, oh, crap, you see this thing on his, his, uh, you know, this look on his face where he's just, oh, shit, I don't know what to do now. And it's cool. I like how he responds. He's still a capable warrior, even without the lightsaber. Uh, it's just great to see. I don't know. I think it's just, just a really good episode in general. Zero is the most annoying thing in this episode, to yeah, be honest. So when annoying. they do fear, like when they free him, he just his voice is so nasally high pitched. Just, and he's he's kind of like a whiny teenager as well. He's like, no, no, yeah. don't don't take me there. Take me to this other place. Yeah, like, shut up. We just freed you. He, he is a hut. He is a rich, like snobby kid. Yeah, right. It just it, it's unnecessary and a little bit gratuitous, I would say. Yeah, and I I like that. Um, Cat Bane kind of outsmarts everyone here. Yeah, I think that's his. It, he's just so good, and it's really nice how they show the layers of his plans as he as they unfold as the pages of it unfold it's really fascinating uh, how they do it so it's well done by him for sure the one thing that i have to note is it is absolutely insane how bad they are at keeping the secret anakin and padme oh yes it's just like they're in the middle of like a bunch of senators and Anakin's head is in Senator Chuchi's lap, and they're basically kissing. They're not actually kissing, but they're basically touching each other's hands and faces as if they're like lovers. And it's just the least, I don't know how to say it, just other than it's the, it's the worst way to keep, a, to keep a secret. And they're obviously not trying. And this is something that is... <clears throat> A challenge for filmmakers in general is when you zoom in on two characters, how do you kind of focus in on them while keeping an eye on the outs- what's happening outside of the screen 
what the context and the space in which they are and not losing that as you as they have a discussion or something happens and not forgetting the space that they're in and it is a very I don't know. I think it's it's a somewhat of a failure, if I had to say, of this episode is and just their relationship in general that it's just they're just terrible at it. Yeah, that would never fly in real life. Um, you know, they're just so obvious about it. Um, that's also really cring. It's also really cringy in a way. It's like, oh no, it's like so. I think that's that again shows you what the the target audience is because that can only fly with kids and teenagers. Yeah, that's it. Well, thank you. I mean, this discussion has been the first season of uh, Star Wars Clone Wars. And join us next time when we discuss the first half of season two. And just to clarify, as we are skipping some episodes throughout the Clone Wars series, next week we'll be, we will be discussing um, season two, episode one through eleven. So watch all those episodes if you can to join us because we don't really talk about the plots, but we talk about everything else that's interesting to us. And I guess thank you. And thank you for joining us on this journey that we decided to go on together for better or for worse. If you want to get in touch, there are a few ways you can do that. Email. Write us an email to hello at seriallyhooked.com. Website. You can check out our website and suggest future topics at seriallyhooked.com. Twitter! You can find us on Twitter at SeriallyHooked. If you like the show, tell a friend or 10, rate us on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a difference and helps people discover the show. If you want to get in touch, there are a few ways you can do that. Email! Write us an email. <laughs>